I'm just going to read it to you, the whole of Daniel 6, because I think it's worth it. So do, if you want to find it in your Bibles, you're welcome to, but if you just want to close your eyes and listen, um, you are totally welcome to do that as well. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more than capable of all more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection to the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue the sign, this law, so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room with its window open towards Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law the king signs can be changed. So, at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was bought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. 
Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had thrown them into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Sirius the Persian. Can we play the video? So... Today, we are continuing this worship series, thinking about worship undercover. The video that we've just watched is from a charity called Open Doors. Open Doors um, work with the persecuted church around the world. They're quite an incredible charity, and I do really encourage you to, you know, go on their website. It's, it's a really, um, yeah, powerful thing. By persecuted, I just thought sometimes it's helpful to define what these things mean. So Open Doors defines persecuted as any hostility experienced as a result of one's identification with Christ. That can include hostile attitudes, words and actions towards Christians. Hostile attitudes, words and actions towards Christians. Open Doors has a watch list. It has um, a watch list of its top 50 uh, most dangerous places to be a Christian. This is a places um, that being a Christian means you will suffer extreme persecution. The top 11 of those places are on the sort of uh, highest alert of risk. That means there is a significant risk to life um, if you are a Christian. The other countries are still at high risk of significant persecution. Um, this list is compiled once a year, and for the first time this year, Afghanistan is now at the top of that list. It's followed by North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, and India. These countries experience extreme persecution, death, isolation, 
being disowned if you become a Christian it's very likely your family will entirely disown you physical violence there is also a significant amount of sexual violence as well as now the use of things like social media to entirely isolate someone they could not work can't buy food won't get served anywhere aren't able to go out because social media is incredibly powerful at connecting people but it is also incredibly powerful to isolate people And yet, as you saw on that video, there are Christians in those countries whose faith is solid, who love Jesus with their whole hearts. I wanted to include a story, a video tonight, because do you know what? There's absolutely nothing I can say that will say more than an individual story. And I really encourage you to go and um, go on the Open Doors website because they've got loads and loads of stories of people, individual people telling you their story. And individual stories are so, so powerful. But I wanted to link it back to our passage. Yeah, the book of Daniel is a book of hope and promise for the persecuted church. It's a book that shows us that God will one day confront and defeat corrupt humanity and bring in his own kingdom. In many places and in many ways, we see that kingdom come now in this life. And that is true all over the world. There are many miracles happening all the time. But the kingdom eternal is also coming. And so many of the stories that I have heard, that is what they're waiting for. That's what they're excited for. The kingdom come. Eternity with Jesus. But do you know what? They will go to their death knowing the kingdom come. And going to their death means they'll be with Jesus. But they're not ready. They're not ready Because do you know what? They want the kingdom to come now. And for each of the lives of their families, for their friends, of the people that they see around them. So they suffer great hardship because the kingdom of God is coming. And they can be part of the kingdom of God to come now. I was struck um, last week at uh, the Queen's funeral. Um, I've got a lot of time for Archbishop Justin and what he said. But something he said really kind of hit a a thing with me, hit a chord with me. He said, he talked of our queen as our sister. Our sister, the queen. And as I watched that video, and this is, I guess, what made me choose that video... I thought, you know what? I have a sister who is a queen whose life I cannot relate to in any way, shape or form. And I have a sister in Afghanistan whose life I equally cannot relate to in any way, shape or form. 
And yet, the promises of God are true for my sister who was the queen, for my sister in Afghanistan, and for me standing here. No difference. Absolutely no difference. And it just made me... Just God is good. God is awesome. And that is the God that we all worship. And we heard that lady at the end, and I'll, I'll read that quote again at the end, but she... She says, through prayer we are united as one body of Christ. There was an outpouring of grief for the queen. Yet, do I pour out my grief for my brothers and sisters in, the, in churches around the world who are dying? The honest answer is I haven't really thought about it for a couple of years since I was at Spring Harvest and they had a big focus on the persecuted church and I came home like, wow, I need to do this, I need to... And I was fired up for about three weeks. And then, I, you know, life happened. And that's happened, that's normal. I don't feel particularly guilty about that. But actually, you know, it's good to go back and think, oh, do you know what, Daniel 6? Actually, that takes me to the persecuted church. That makes me think of my brothers and sisters who are suffering. In Daniel 6, we see Daniel, who's an old man by this point, again in a position where he has to make a choice. Does he submit to the corruption that surrounds him? Or does he remain steady to his beliefs, the things he knows true? He doesn't falter. And again, he faces punishment and almost certain death. Daniel's been here before. He knows God is faithful. But I wonder how he felt as he was led to that cave. I wonder how he felt as he watched the light fade as a stone is rolled in front of it. And then the waiting. The waiting hours ticking by in pitch black, knowing that you are 10 foot from a lion, trusting that your God will protect you and save you. But with that constant threat standing over your shoulder, I don't know if you've ever experienced a time of waiting like that. I don't think I have, if I'm very honest. But I do have friends who've suffered from cancer, who live in a time of waiting, not knowing if things are going to get better or worse. He's standing there waiting in the dark, always aware of the beasts that are lurking behind him. In Daniel 6, the beasts are lions. In Afghanistan, the beasts are those Taliban with religious um, ideology that means that they would kill Christians. In some places, that might be ISIS, other beasts. And there are Christians waiting. Waiting for the knock on the door. I wonder, and I'm not going to answer this question, but I wonder 
Does trust grow in the waiting or does fear? I think there are many things that we can do, but I think those are two very powerful options that happen to us as we wait and as we live in tension. A tension of a kingdom that is coming, that is here already, but a kingdom that has not completely arrived. The persecuted church lives in that tension all the time. And we are called to pray. I think I made it fairly obvious in that bit. But there are so many strong links in this story in Daniel and in Jesus' death and resurrection we see that stone that was rolled in front of Jesus's tomb that his body had been placed in and then a time of waiting and then the stone is rolled away and Jesus has defeated death and he is alive this passage in Daniel points to the kingdom that is coming. You know, there are those big, obvious Jesus kind of parallels that we can see in it. But there are little things. And I like the little links. You know, I like the little numbers in a Bible passage where you jump you, jump you back to different bits. And this image of lions is one that you find in Isaiah. It says in Isaiah 11, and when Isaiah is speaking of the kingdom to come, he says, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. A lion whose mouth has been closed to meat is, in the Bible, an image of the kingdom at work. You know, this sign in Daniel 6, this miracle, seems a bit like it's above nature, but it's, um, it's, it's not just to protect Daniel, but it's an expression of God overcoming evil. It's a sign that the age to come, the kingdom come, is one of power, where evil will be completely overcome. The book of Daniel, perhaps more than any other book, demonstrates that those who believe in God can have a confidence that even where it looks like evil forces have control, God will have the ultimate victory. That chapter finishes. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language on the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. We live with the hope of that victory. As I read stories of the persecuted church... A quote from a pastor in Iraq struck me. He said, we believe that with less food, less medicine, we can survive. But with less grace, no. No one can survive. I'm going to finish with the words that we saw in the, prayer, in the video earlier. It says, I know that my Jesus 
and your Jesus is one. Through prayer, we are united as we are the body of Christ. May the Lord make you aware of our pain.